If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Very often when we think of shepherds today, uh, it's informed more by our own culture than by the biblical culture. And so there's always a tendency uh, to take what we know in our culture and to impose that back onto what we read in the Bible. And very often it winds up with some, uh, you wind up with some, some odd ideas about what the Bible is trying to teach, some wrong ideas. For example, very often when we hear of slavery, we immediately think of slavery in our own cultural context, the slavery that we had in our own country uh, and in places like uh, Britain uh, a, a couple hundred years ago. But that's not the kind of slavery they had in the New Testament. When we hear Jesus talk about being fishers of men, we very often mistakenly come up with our minds with this rod and reel and casting this thing out. Well, they didn't do anything like that. They had big nets that they would throw into the water. And, and so it was a totally different metaphor uh, that the, the biblical writers, Jesus, was using in his teaching. Likewise, with shepherding, if we're not careful, we'll have a wrong idea about what Jesus is identifying himself with. D.A. Carson explains it this way, Many people are inclined to think of shepherds as sentimental beings, perhaps somewhat effeminate, with their arms full of cuddly lambs. But in biblical times, the shepherd's job was tiring, manly, and sometimes even dangerous. If we stop and think about the kind of shepherd imagery that we see in the Bible, really that's what comes out. You have David who in shepherding his sheep actually uh, killed a lion with his bare hands in order to spare them from uh, uh, death. We see Psalm 23 where the shepherd tirelessly leads the sheep all over up into the, uh, up into the mountains and down in the valleys making sure that they are well fed and well, well cared for. Even going through the very shadow of death, the shepherd is there to defend and to protect the sheep. As I listened to Pastor Richard's sermon from last week, I thought he did a wonderful job explaining Jesus as the door of the sheep, as the gate of the sheep from the first part of chapter 10. And here we pick up where he left off in verse 11. Then we finish looking at Jesus' teaching here in chapter 10. Then we see another I am statement about who he is. And here he promises to be the good shepherd of his people. But what does it mean for Jesus to be the good shepherd? I mean, what, 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 we, you know, we can think about shepherds, we think about Jesus, but how do these things merge together in our minds? What does it mean for him to shepherd his people? How are we supposed to take comfort in this? How should this idea lead us to greater love and trust and confidence in Christ? These are the kind of questions and the things that we want to think about this morning as we look to John chapter 10 and think about what it means for Jesus to say, I am the good shepherd. I want to, even though our focus will be on verses 11 and following, I want to back up to verse 1 so that way we get the larger context of what Jesus is saying as we read his word. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, and they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. 
All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was, again, a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? At that time, the feast of at the time of the feast of dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to them, "How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly." Jesus answered them, "I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me." I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. This is the word of God this morning. Here we want to see what it means for Jesus to be our good shepherd. In doing so, what we want to see are four ways in which Jesus shepherds his people. Four ways in which Jesus shepherds his people. First, we see that Jesus shepherds his people by loving them. By loving them. Again, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He was a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Again, last week, Pastor Richard talked about the thieves and the robbers who were wicked in their intentions. They came to kill and to destroy God's flock. They were evil men with evil motives. But that's not the case with the individual that Jesus talks about here. The hired hands that Jesus speaks about are not so much wicked as they are more committed to their own well-being than the sheep. The, the, the thieves and the robbers, they have very specific evil intentions. That's not the case with the hired hands. Rather, they're just disinterested. You see, very often someone who may have owned flocks of sheep, and perhaps if they're a wealthy man, they owned lots of flocks of sheep, but they also had other business interests. They may have had a large family to care for. They said, we, I just don't have time to be out in the fields anymore. Perhaps they didn't have children to go out. What they would do, they would hire people to come and they would say, hey, shepherd my sheep for me. You come in today, you shepherd the sheep, you get your money on the way out. And that's what these individuals would do. They were hired shepherds. They were hired hands that were to come in uh, and watch the sheep. But they weren't, they weren't that hired shepherd sheep. They were simply earning a day's wage. They were simply hired to care for someone else's sheep. And if the work wasn't too dangerous, it wasn't too difficult, no problem. 
The hired shepherd would work for the day, get his wage, and he'd go home happy. But if, if the danger level rose high, if it threatened not only the life of the sheep, but now possibly also his own life, it was nothing for that hired man to be out the door and gone. He did not count his own life worth that of the sheep of this other individual. He would leave them to fend for themselves. And this wasn't, frankly, unexpected. He's just a hired hand. They're not his sheep. He doesn't own them. He has no vested interest in them. At the same time, Jesus says, in contrast to that, he is the good shepherd. That word we have in our English as good suggests something like nobility or worth. With when he is the shepherd, he is a shepherd of a higher caliber. He is the genuine article, the true shepherd. Unlike the hired men, Jesus actually cares for the sheep. He loves them. These are his sheep. Jesus may also be offering a contrast here, not just in the metaphorical world of shepherds and sheep, but also of the real world of religious leaders and God's people. You see, there were those religious leaders of the day who, like those hired hands, they did their jobs, they were paid for their jobs, and that was it. They were going to serve in order to make a living, not because they actually cared for God's people. You see this even in, in recent times. If you will, uh, some of you uh, talk to, I know, watch PBS and you might watch Masterpiece Theater and some of these other things. And they're very often they will show uh, back in England uh, in the 16 and 1700s, you find uh, parsons, pastors uh, of churches, and they simply take the position, they simply go into ministry for the paycheck. It's a nice, easy life, they reckon. And so, uh, hey, that's what I'm going to do. And, and some of them aren't even believers, not even saved. Jesus says, I'm not like that. I'm not, just, I'm not just punching a clock. I'm not just doing this as a job. These are my people. I care about them. I love them. I am going to take care of them and watch over them as the true shepherd. Pastor Derek Thomas talks about being a young boy and remembering his own father taking care of their sheep. He says this, I have memories as a young boy growing up in West Wales. On a stormy, snowy nights, watching my father put on as many clothes as he could to brave the wind and the snow because of the sheep was making a noise somewhere up in the distance several fields away and having to walk with a lantern to discover that perhaps the sheep had got caught in a trap or caught in a wire or worse, that a fox had come and was attacking its lambs. Now I have to be honest, when it's cold like it's been the last day or two, I don't even like walking the trash to the curb. I mean, you're talking, what, 20, 30 feet? I mean, you're putting on the stuff, you got the gloves and everything else, and you're walking out there and you're freezing. And here is a guy. You'll notice it's not in his, back, it's not in his backyard. The pastor, Thomas, he says it's, it's fields away. He bundles up everything he has in this blustery winter weather, puts on his jack boots, and is out there crunching the snow uh, with nothing but a lantern to guide his way, all because he has heard one sheep bleeding in the distance. Who does that? Someone who loves his sheep. Those were his sheep and he loved them and he cared for them. So he was willing to make the sacrifice and go out to them. Likewise, Jesus says, he does not stand back aloof. Some disinterested savior, some, some cosmic guide somewhere that we just kind of look up to as a good moral example. He says, I am invested in the lives of my people. They are my people. I care about them. I love them. I will be there for them. 
Jesus is the good shepherd. He loves his sheep. In fact, Jesus says, I love them so much that I am willing to die for them. This is the second thing that we see this morning, that Jesus shepherds his people by dying for them. In the world of shepherds and sheep, the idea that a shepherd would lay down his life simply meant he was willing to risk it for the sheep. Like David, if the lion came upon them, uh, it certainly would have been his life too. And so he was willing to step in between the lion and the sheep and to defend them. But Jesus means so much more than that. Jesus doesn't just say, well, if danger comes, then, then, then I'm, I'm willing to encounter it. No, Jesus says there is, a, there is an intentionality to me dying for the sheep. I'm not just willing to die. I am planning to die. Look again at verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And then verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own. My own know me, just the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 17, for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus says he lays down his life from the sheep. He says no one takes it from me. No one comes in and forcibly causes me to die for my sheep. No one shoves me up to the cross. He says, I lay my life down willingly for my sheep. Jesus is not just some ordinary martyr that gets caught up in unfortunate events that results in his death. There is an intentionality, a purpose behind his death. Jesus is going. He is going forward. If you read the Gospel of Mark, it is like he has his bullseye on the cross. And the whole book, he is just heading straight for it. And if demons get in his way, they're exercised. If sickness gets in his way, it's healed. If confrontations come with the Pharisees, he shoots them down by teaching with authority. Everything is driving him to the cross. And that's what Jesus is saying here as well. He is purposefully, specifically going to die for his sheep. That is, he is going to die for their benefit. Jesus knew this is why he came. This is why he left the glories of heaven and took on flesh in the first place. Jesus' human adoptive father was told this is exactly why he was coming. They said, don't name him Joseph Jr. Don't name him after your father or your grandfather. Name him Jesus. Name him in the Hebrew Yeshua, which means the Lord saves. Why? Because this boy will one day save his people from their sins. Jesus himself says, I am laying down my life because this is the charge I receive from God the Father. That is in the, the eternal existence that the Father and the Son and the Spirit shared before time began, before anything that was made, they said together, we plan to create a universe. Now just pause and stop and fathom that for a minute. You know, the first time we, we, can, we can ever remember looking up into the night sky, what do we see? The universe. We see stars, we see, we see planets, we go to the zoo, we see animals, and we think, you know, this is the way it's always been. But you stop and you think, there was a moment, there was lots of moments before there was any such thing called a moment, before there was time, before there was space, before there was the cosmos, before there was animals, before there were stars and planets, there was just God. And loving, eternal fellowship. And then at some point, they say to themselves, let's create. Let's create a universe to put our glory on display. 
And as they, and, and of course, you know, we're, 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 we're condescending to use human language because we can't put our minds around it. There's, there's not time as we know it. But for the sake of, of our illustration here, of our thinking, we're going to speak in time-like ways. At some point in thinking about creating, they say, guess what? We see humanity is going to sin. Let's create anyway. Let's create knowing full well that they will rebel, that they will turn away from us, and yet we will then also plan to redeem them. We will not just allow them to sin and justly punish them, showing our glory in that way, but no, we will plan to redeem some from out of humanity, a people for ourselves. Thus, both in judging sin and in forgiving sin, we will be shown to be the most all-glorious being that has ever existed and will ever exist. This, then, is the purpose of Jesus' death. Before anything is created, he says, I have come from the charge, from my, with the charge from my heavenly Father for this express purpose, to lay down my life for my sheep. I see the danger coming, the danger of their eternal destruction in hell for their sins. And though they deserve that punishment, I will go and I will lay down my life and I will take their punishment for them. On the cross, Jesus hung, enduring God's full and righteous wrath against his people's sins. This means Jesus didn't just jump in front of a random bullet for us. He's not like the Secret Service. He didn't just push us out of the way of an oncoming car. He's not just a, a, a good bystander. No, he sees our guilt before God and he willingly steps in front of God's judgment to satisfy it for us. Thus, Professor John Murray says this, death was not his fate, it was his deed. He grasped it. Death was his triumphal act. Never was he more victorious than on the cross. Furthermore, in verse 17, Jesus says, for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Again, Jesus has taken us to the very heart of what it means for God to be a triune God. Christians believe the Bible reveals the very nature of God to be Trinitarian. That is, there is one God. There's not three. There's not a thousand. There is one God. But that one God exists eternally in three persons. Father, Son, and Spirit. And it's mind-boggling to think about that. And yet Jesus just throws us right into the deep end of all this stuff. He says, though, though equally God... Though equally glorious, him and the Father, nevertheless, he willingly and joyfully submits to the Father's plan. And what's the Father's response? He delights in the Son's obedience to his plan. To willingly go and lay down his life for his people. Even then, Jesus says, it's not the end. I lay it down so that I may raise it up again. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up. Jesus died on the cross, but that was not the end of Jesus. It was not just, I'm going to die and be done. No, I am dying to make atonement, but I will be back. And you thought Arnold coined the phrase. He says, as the old preacher did, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The world has gone dark. It is the most horrible day in human history. The Son of God Himself, the most perfect human being to ever step foot in this world, has just suffered under the wrath of Almighty God. All of creation groans and creaks and thunder and lightning and earthquakes happen. It's Friday. But then Sunday comes. 
in a glorious sunrise, Christ comes out of the grave, victorious over death and sin, alive forevermore as the eternal good shepherd of his people. Jesus loved his people. He loved them so much that he died for them, but he didn't stay dead. He is raised back to life even now to shepherd his people, and he does it by leading them. This is the third thing that we see. Jesus shepherds his people by leading them. Culturally, when shepherds very often were gathered together, sometimes at night away from uh, their normal fields or whatever, they would, they would find a, a community sheep pen. And they would put all the sheep in there. Pastor Richard, I think, maybe even talked about this a little bit. You would have all these different flocks mingling together in the sheep pen. Now, if you told me, go pick out so-and-so, I'll be like, huh? You know, where's the ear tag? Where's that on the side? You know, give me something. But the shepherd lives with the sheep. I mean, he sleeps at night in the fields with them very often. And so he talks to them. Uh, some, some sources even say that he would give them names. Like, you know, he, he would look at some and call them stubborn. You know, that's probably my name, okay? Uh, but, but, but the shepherd would just have to come and say, come on, sheep, let's go. It's time for us to, to get moving. And they would immediately, oh, that's our shepherd. And there they would go, little old sheep trotting out one by one. And maybe there would be one dumb one and he wouldn't know and he would go and they'd get knocked back in there. But the sheep recognized the voice of the shepherd when he called. He would lead them out into where they needed to go. And Jesus picks up on this cultural reality and he says, it's the same with my sheep. Listen to what he says in verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. They will hear my voice so there will be one flock, one shepherd. Then later we see some of the Jewish leaders who've been listening to Jesus and they think, you know, he's just jerking us around, he's playing coy, and they're getting irritated. You see, what, what sometimes we, we don't see because the New Testament doesn't dwell on it, because they're saying there's only one real Messiah, but historically we know there's all kinds of people running around saying, I'm the Messiah, come on, let's go, let's, and they're building armies and they're trying to take on Rome, and it's failure after failure after failure. It's like Messiah mania in Jesus' day. And these people are saying, come on, just tell us, we got this guy over here we got this guy over here are you the real messiah are you really him and jesus says i told you and you do not believe the works that i do in my father's name bear witness about me but you do not believe because you are not part of my flock my sheep hear my voice and i know them and they follow me don't miss what jesus says here he doesn't say you do not believe therefore you are not my sheep Frankly, that would be easy for us to take. That's not what he says. He says, no, you do not believe because you are not part of my sheep. You are not part of my flock. You are not my sheep. Therefore, when you hear my voice, you do not recognize me. You do not follow me. You do not believe. That's what Jesus is saying here. There is a spiritual deficiency in all of us that keeps us from ever following Jesus by ourselves. Unless we have been marked out by Christ before eternity as his sheep, then we will not believe. In fact, Paul says in Ephesians 4 that we remain darkened in our understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in us due to our hardness of heart. 
We are born sinners and left to ourselves. We exist ignorant of God in a state of hardness of heart. We don't want to believe. We don't want to follow the shepherd. We want to be the shepherd. We don't trust the shepherd. We don't love the shepherd. We, in fact, killed the shepherd in our sinfulness. But Jesus comes after us. Jesus comes after his sheep. Before time began, he says, he marked out his people. And like a loving shepherd, he now goes after them. Friends, salvation is not just some random thing. God did not, Christ did not just make possible salvation for, for any and everybody. When he died, he died in place of his sheep. He secured, he obtained, he purchased salvation. Not just a possibility, he purchased salvation on the cross. That's what the whole idea of substitution is. When he died, he had the very hearts and minds and faces of every one of his sheep on his mind. He knew this is for them and this is for him and this is for her and this is for him. He died for his sheep so that not one drop of Christ's blood goes to waste. He knows his sheep. He calls to him and they answer that call. By his sovereign grace, Jesus overcomes our sinful inclinations and the, 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 to turn away and to wallow in our sin. And instead, he gives us new eyes that we might see our shepherd. He gives us new ears unstopped by sin so we might hear his call. He causes us to recognize his beauty and his glory of what he has done in dying for us so we might love him and follow him and trust him with our lives. When the sheep hear the message of the cross, they believe and they follow their shepherd. Now, as you hear that today, do not think to yourself, well, I must not be a sheep because I'm not following Jesus. No, no, no. Don't sit there asking yourself, am I a sheep? Am I a sheep? Am I a sheep? Look to the shepherd and believe. That's what Jesus is desiring. He doesn't teach this to turn people away. He teaches us this that we will realize when we come to Christ, we're coming to Him as our Savior. We're not coming saying, Hey, hey, Jesus, look, here's all my good works. What's this going to get me with you? Kaplunk. He says, garbage. It's garbage. You don't need to bring righteousness with you. It doesn't, it's not worth anything in God's heaven. You come to me. I am your shepherd. I died for you. I give you the righteousness that you need. I secured the forgiveness that you need. The same Jesus who said in John chapter 6, no one comes to me unless the Father draws him. It's the same Jesus who just 10 verses later said, I am the bread of life. And whoever shall come to me will not hunger. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. Jesus holds himself out and he says, just come. Just come. Come, look to me and come. And what you will find in following me as your shepherd as you look back is that I was the one that called you. I was the one that drew you. I was the one who in love picked you up out of the mud and washed you off and held you as my own. So this morning, if you've never done that today, if you've never trusted in Jesus, then do it. Look to the shepherd who gave his life for sinners. Believe in him. He died to make you right with God, and you will be forgiven of your sins. But most of you here today already claim to be Jesus' sheep. Most of you today say, I have heard his voice, and I follow him. To you I say this, do not miss Jesus' imperative in verse 16. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. Christians, what are you doing about that verse? 
What are you doing about that verse? You say you're a sheep. You say you're following the shepherd's voice. Jesus says, I have sheep that are not of this fold. I have sheep that are not in this people of Israel. I have sheep that are going to come from all over the world. They must be gathered into the preaching of the gospel. Christians, what are you doing about that? And don't give me any lame excuses. I'm busy. Yeah, right, we're all busy. What are we busy about doing? The shepherd's business or our own business? I'm scared. What are you scared of? You belong to the shepherd. We'll see you in just a minute. He has you secure. Are you afraid of losing friends? You have a friend who sticks closer than a brother in Christ. Are you afraid of failure? He's just said he's the one who calls the sheep. You're just the mouthpiece. What's our excuse? What's our excuse for not following the, the command, the imperative of the shepherd? Who can look before he even goes to the cross. He knows who his sheep are. He knew that in 1985, there was a, a little punk kid named Johnny Earl Botkin who's going to be sitting in a vacation Bible school, and that I was one of his sheep. He knew that. But you know what? Someone had to open their mouth and proclaim the gospel that he might call me. And someone was faithful to do that, not once, not twice, not three times, but over and over and over again as I sat in a back pew and listened to a preacher and heard Sunday school teachers and heard the lessons of vacation Bible school. Even today, there are people in Bay City. There are people in Saginaw. There are people in Midland. There are people in Niger. And there are even workers probably at a U.S. government station in Antarctica. Wherever you want to go, the field is open. There are sheep. And we cannot just wallow back in the sheepfold enjoying being part of the flock. We are called to open our mouths and to proclaim the good news of the shepherd that Christ might draw all of his sheep in, that there might be one flock with one shepherd worshiping one Lord. This is our call as the sheep of God. As the good shepherd, Jesus loves his sheep. He loves them enough to die for them as their living Lord. He leads us to himself. And as his sheep, as we go to, as we go to Christ, he protects us for all eternity. This is the last thing that we see. Jesus shepherds his people by protecting them. One of the debates you sometimes hear about, one of the debates I sometimes even participate in, is the debate over something called eternal security. Sometimes we have a well-intentioned but bad way of phrasing that, once saved, always saved. The question is this, can, can, can a Christian lose their salvation? Can someone who has truly believed lose their salvation? The first part of that problem is we, we treat salvation like it's a possession that we can hold on to, like it's a coffee cup or it's a set of car keys or a remote control that you can never find when you need it. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know, because I ask you to look for it all the time. Get under the couch. Where is that thing? But, th but that's not, Jesus says that, you know, that, that's, not, that's not the right way to ask the question. The question is not, can a Christian lose his salvation? The question is, can Christ lose a Christian? That's the question we have to ask. That's the question that, that is being posed here. Can the shepherd lose one of his sheep? Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. When Jesus calls his sheep, they listen to him. They hear his voice. They follow him. And when they follow him, Jesus says, I protect them. I keep them secure in the salvation that I have given them so that no one will snatch them away from me. 
Jesus says those that follow him receive eternal life. That is, they receive life with God himself. Life in God's presence. Life from the age to come brought into the presence through the Spirit of God. It is life of the new heavens and the new earth. Not life tainted by sin. Not life tainted by corruption and death. And it is something that we have now as his sheep. Even though we look forward to fully experiencing eternal life on the day of Christ's return, even now we are his. We have life with God. God dwells in us by his spirit and we experience the joys of fellowship with him even as we wait for the fullness of it later. That's what Romans 8 is all about. And I hope, I hope you will grasp hold of that and see the joyous promise it is in 2010. Jesus says here, because we have life with God, now we are secure in His embrace. Just think about it like this for a minute. If, if you were to see some guy on television, because they always interview the crazies, he's going to go down here at the Kroger gas station. Tell him why they always stop at gas stations. What do you have to say about this? Uh, I hate gas prices being high. You see somebody at the gas station, you see him on the news, and he says, you know what? I've decided to make war against God. Now what would you think? after call the white coats. I mean, what would you think, honestly? You'd say, are you insane? Who do you think you are? I mean, what are you going to use for artillery? What kind of weapons are you even, I mean, how are you even going to, I mean, Satan can't even defeat God. Who do you think you are making war on God? That's crazy. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. He says, my father has given the sheep to me. He is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. He says, are, are you, if, if God is the one who gives the sheep to me as my possession and he holds them secure and I am holding them secure because the Father and I are one, do you really think someone is going to take out the Father to get to the sheep? No. 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 R.C. Sproul says it like this. Suppose there is a father and a young child who are walking alongside a set of railroad tracks. The father can do one of two things. He can say, son, now you hold my hand tight because if you fall on those tracks, it can be dangerous. Or... The father can say, son, give me your hand. Knowing full well he is never going to let that son fall into those tracks. If he has to lead him gently away as he's playing too close, or whether he sees the train coming and he has to scoop him up in his arms to protect him from the train. The father knows it is up to me and my responsibility and I will never let anything happen to that child. Just so, Jesus says, this is what the father does to his people. This is what Christ does to his sheep. He protects them so that they are secure in him. Again, in Romans 8, we have the familiar words, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or sword? No! No! In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I think that settles it. I think that settles it. Philip Keller is a man who used to be a shepherd and now he's an old man and he's written lots of books recounting his experiences as a shepherd. And um, he recalls in one of his books the very first flock that he ever had and he says this, those sheep belong to me only by virtue of the fact that I paid hard cash for them. It was money earned by the blood and sweat and tears drawn from my own body during the desperate grinding years of the Depression. 
And when I bought that first small flock, I was buying them literally with my own body, which had been laid down with this day in mind. Because of this, I felt in a special way that they were in very truth a part of me and I a part of them. This made those 30 ewes exceedingly precious to me. Much more than simply working for years to buy a small flock, Jesus says he lays down his very life for the sheep. He shed his own blood, not for a small group, but to secure a countless people for himself from every tribe and nation and people and language. Jesus died so that sinners might experience salvation from their sins and have life with God. And because Jesus is the good shepherd, he loves his sheep even to die for them. He leads them to himself. He calls out to them and protects them forever. And the reality is when we follow Christ as our shepherd, we will always be cared for and never find ourselves in want of anything. Therefore, this morning, the call for all of us is to turn to Jesus, to hear his voice calling and to follow him as our good shepherd. Let's pray. Father, it is a a joy, God, to, to think of the great description that Christ has given to us and himself as the good shepherd. Father, even now the full impact of what it means for Christ to shepherd our souls is not known to us. And Father, I pray that you would continue to allow this imagery to dwell in our minds and our hearts, that we would continue to think long and hard about being one of Christ's sheep whom he shepherds over. Father, I pray that you would use this to encourage and comfort our hearts. And Father, I pray you would even use this now to call those who do not yet know you to faith in Christ. Father, we pray all these things in his name and for his sake. Amen.